0: According to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, our beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our growth comes through the Scriptures. Join me once again in Proverbs 15. Proverbs 15. I think this is now our third session in Proverbs 15. And so I really should be at least at verse 3 by now. or Otherwise, this chapter is going to take us 33 hours to get through. Proverbs 15, and chapter 14 was longer than any of the other chapters, so the pace has definitely slowed down, and uh, it's just something I pray about and ask the Lord to, uh, to lead and to guide in, uh, in this regard. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise makes knowledge acceptable, but the mouth of fools spouts folly. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. And that's uh, what we want to pick up with here today. A soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. A fool rejects his father's discipline, but he who regards reproof is sensible. I mean, all of these verses, it just starts off with treasure after treasure after treasure. And every verse practically preaches itself when it comes right down to it. All right, before we do get started, though, let's take a moment for silent prayer. Let's humble ourselves before the Lord, calling upon His faithfulness. Shall we pray? Almighty Father, we do come before you this morning thankful for your grace and truth, thankful for the Word of God, the living and abiding Word of God, Father. It is just as alive today as it was the day it was written. Father, I thank you for the blessings we have to humble ourselves, to submit to the authority of your Word. I thank you, Father, in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. All right. And so, I won't review what we've taught already. I like to start every chapter with kind of a point that establishes the context that kind of shows you how we're transitioning from one to the next. And so maybe you've observed that over 15 chapters now. Uh, but chapter 15 has some distinctions to observe in contrast with the earlier chapters. And so kind of bridging now the difference between chapter 14 and 15, we notice that there's a notably less common antithetical parallelism there's far fewer buts in this chapter than uh, other chapters. Uh, there's more of the synthetic parallelism where a statement is made and then an expansion or a, a, an addition is made. So uh, we'll have the first of those here this morning when we look at verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. And then there's not a but, there's not a contrast, there's not a negative statement that's made on the, on the flip side. The, the second part of the poetry then expands the first part. The eyes of the Lord are in every place watching the evil and the good. And so it builds on the A part. That's why uh, we have it uh, in that way. So verse 3, verse 10, 11, 12, 23, 24, 30, 31, and 33. Those are all the verses in this chapter that do not exhibit antithetical parallelism. Also, speech is a frequent topic, and that's what we've been dealing with in verses 1 and 2, the aspects of speech. Uh, There'll be more coming up in verse 4, 7, 23, 26, and 28. We also have several references to Yahweh in this chapter, more than almost any other chapter as uh, we put this up. I forgot which one of these buttons. Here we go. This button. And so you can see those towers there in the middle, uh, that's chapter 15 and chapter 16. So this is kind of a diagram for every place in Proverbs that Yahweh shows up. Chapter 3 had a big concentration, uh, but uh, chapter 15 and 16 now has the most concentrated references to Yahweh here in a, in a two-chapter uh, segment. So that, that grabs our attention. And then also references to abominations. There are three of them in this chapter, verse 8, verse 9, verse 26, and uh, there's no other chapter in Proverbs that has three references. Uh, chapter 16, the next chapter has two. There's four chapters that have two, uh, but chapter 15 has three. And so that uh, that gets our attention as well. All right, under point two we talked about verse one, how it preaches itself. Uh, How do we respond to verbal anger? A gentle answer turns away wrath. Uh, We can respond in one of two ways. We can respond with gentleness or we can respond with a harsh word. The harsh word is a painful word. It is a word that's designed to inflict pain. And so somebody is angry at you, somebody has hurt you, somebody has said a hurtful thing to you. And because you've been hurt, what do you want to do? Well, your carnality wants to hurt them right back. Your carnality wants to cause them to hurt as well because they have hurt you. Well, wisdom says don't do that. Wisdom says you only make matters worse. And you actually poison your own soul at that point. And so we don't want to return with a painful word, a harsh word. That just fans the flames and it makes it worse. And uh, so we want to deflect. The, uh, the uh, gentle answer deflects. And uh, that's, a, that's a beautiful principle. It turns it away. It turns it away. It deflects. turns it away. And, uh, and that's the principle there. All right. When we get to verse 2. It also preaches itself. At least the second half preaches itself. The first half, though, is quite profound. And, and this is what we spent most of last week dealing with, and I want to kind of tie that together again today. Uh, this is point 3 in the outline. Verse 2b also preaches itself, but 2a is quite profound. Um, the idea that the mouth of fool spouts folly—we've seen that before. We're going to see it again. It kind of self-evident. But um, but the first part, the tongue of the wise beautifies knowledge. Is a way that you could translate that. It makes knowledge acceptable. It makes knowledge good. It makes knowledge beautiful. And the the Hebrew is is it does mean good literally, but in in various applications, a good thing is a beautiful thing. So if a face is good that means it's a beautiful face. If a flower is good, if a body is good uh, some of the language that describes physical beauty uh, would use this goodness language to describe beauty. And so I think that's what we see here. When wise people communicate God's wisdom, that very act beautifies Bible doctrine. The act of speaking is the act of beautifying. That's what it is. And it's, it's, it's where the, the verbal activity accomplishes this other activity. And so the tongue of the wise beautifies knowledge. Even though the Word of God already is beautiful. The Word of God already has intrinsic goodness, intrinsic beauty. Just sitting there all on its own, it's eternally beautiful. And yet as we preach it, it beautifies it even more. And that's, uh, that's the, the aspect on this. Wise preaching makes it attractive, causes it to be attractive, see? And this goes well with, uh, last, with the men this morning at 9 o'clock. We were talking about modesty. We were talking about uh, the principles in 1 Timothy about women and dressing with modesty and, and uh, aspects there. Uh, 2 Kings 9 and verse 30 is the example of the ugliest woman in the entire Bible uh, with the ugliest soul Ugliness, right? Talk about Jezebel. And it, I can't think of an uglier woman. Can you think of an uglier woman than Jezebel anywhere in the Bible? Um, and yet, as Jehu was approaching, Jehu came to Jezreel, Jezebel heard of it, and she painted her eyes and adorned her head and looked out the window. And that's the same beautification, hifil uh, stem, that's the same uh, verb and the same uh, stem of the verb. The hifil stem is causative causing to be beautiful. And uh, and so there it is. And you know, when your girls start growing up and they start wearing makeup and perfume and brushing their hair and all the other stuff that goes with that you know, it happens, alright? And uh, and that's, uh, that's what we're talking about here. And that's what we do with the Word of God. It's like, you know, um, it's like we're beautifying it as we preach it. And it beautifies the Word. Okay, so it's like applying the the makeup and the perfume and the and, and whatever else. Okay, the the dresses and the jewelry and the other accessories and and so forth in a in a modest way, in a beautiful way. See, so even though it has intrinsic goodness or beauty, wise preaching makes it attractive, and so causes to be attractive causes to be attractive. So. Clearly, the Word of God is intrinsically beautiful. Psalm nineteen seven, Psalm one hundred nineteen. I mean, there's plenty of passages you can go to where the authors of Scripture are celebrating how beautiful the Word of God is. And the, the psalmist in Psalm one hundred nineteen, in particular, had an intimacy with the Word of God, had a love for the Word of God, and and spent you know one hundred seventy six verses telling the reader how beautiful the Word of God is. And it's uh, it's a powerful that's a powerful psalm. I like. The uh, statements that are found in Psalm 19, again, this was a passage last week, I won't spend a lot of time on it, but um, Psalm 19, when you realize how powerful the Word of God is and how beautiful it is. The uh, law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true. They are righteous altogether. They are more desirable than gold. Yes, than much fine gold. Okay? The fact that it's desirable is not a problem. It's a good thing. Okay, and this is why I think it's useful for us to, to to acknowledge the realities of beauty, the realities of attractiveness, the the uh, the realities of desire, and what is desirable, and uh, that these are legitimate human desires that God has designed us with, and uh, the fact that we have sensibilities and that we have. Uh, a sensual capacity to observe what uh, pleases the senses right what looks pleasant what smells pleasant what sounds pleasant what tastes pleasant what feels pleasant all of those senses and then uh, and then of course what what uh, i got to come up with a term for the the mental spiritual apprehension of pleasant okay and that uh, that also is is a facility we are designed with. Same thing with unpleasant. <laughs> okay, there are smells that are unpleasant. <laughs> Stop right there. All right, there are uh, tastes that are unpleasant, and they might be unpleasant for me, but they're pleasant for you. You love eating whatever. Maybe you're big on sushi. Okay. There are tastes that are pleasant versus unpleasant depending on your particular uh, uh, palate, your particular sensibilities. And then again, there are some things that are just universal, okay? There's not a person in the world that thinks this smells good, right? Or tastes good or looks good. So there's an intrinsic beauty. The Word of God is intrinsically beautiful in that it's perfect, sure, right, pure, clean, true, desirable. Desirable. And that's where we have to uh, be thankful for the boundaries God has placed. And the fact that just because it's desirable doesn't mean I take it. Just because it feels good doesn't mean I do it. Uh, because it may, be, it, it may not be for me, Right? In in the sense of beauty and in and, and and uh the woman God has provided for me, that's my boundary. That's that's the way God's designed that. All right. By making knowledge beautiful, joy and delight are produced in the hearer. The causative beauty has a consequential appreciation. And so even just expressing it, even just Celebrating how beautiful the Word of God is serves to reinforce it and serves to fellowship and share in that beauty. See. And so when we hear good music and we want to share that experience with others that have the capacity to share that good music and things like that. All right? So in this context, then back to Proverbs 15, uh, we have this down in verse 23 and then off into chapter 16. Um, a man has joy in an apt answer and how delightful is the timely word. So wisdom is beautifying the word of God and it's preaching. And and the answer is given. It's an apt answer. It's a timely word. uh, And so the man of wisdom has now adorned the beautiful word of God. It's been made more beautiful. And, And now that it's been made more beautiful, the person hearing the word of God the person being blessed by that attractiveness has a response to that attractiveness right and so you're 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 putting on makeup and wearing perfume and 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 you're 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 beautifying yourself and then what happens people see that okay you don't get all dressed up and all dolled up and all all everything and all and then you, you just do the best you've ever done, ever, all time, and then go hide in a closet for the next 24 hours. Okay? You're probably going somewhere. You're probably going to be with people. You're probably and and people are going to notice. And it's a good thing. We're designed to appreciate beauty. And we're we're designed to, to graciously receive, offer compliments, and receive compliments. And we're designed, and that's normal, that's human. It's not sexist when you compliment an attractive whatever, okay? Well, I should be careful. When you, when, you, uh, when you compliment an attractive thing that should be complimented, and sometimes that's cultural, okay? But, you know, uh, when you compliment a, a new haircut and say, wow, you got your haircut, that looks nice, okay? And Or, or whatever, you know, a dress or a, or anything, okay? So causative beauty has a consequential appreciation. So if you're decorating something, or if you've spent hours cleaning the house and your knucklehead husband doesn't even notice, okay, that's a problem. He should notice. And he should appreciate, wow, house looks great. great," Or dinner smells great. Or man, this tastes great. Or whatever it is. Because work has gone into beautifying something. And because work has gone into beautifying something, it should then be appreciated and acknowledged, and we share that experience. And so uh, man does have joy in the apt answer. It is delightful, is the timely word. When we get to chapter 16, we see it in verses 23 and 24. The heart of the wise instructs his mouth and adds persuasiveness to his lips. That's what helps to adorn it. That's what helps to beautify it, is the fact that the teacher himself is being shaped by the Word of God. His heart is, uh, is in tune with the Word of God, and it adds persuasiveness to his lips. Pleasant words are a honeycomb, sweet to the soul and healing to the bones. And so there is a a response. It's received and it's benefited, and it's it's uh, it does it does it does a person good to hear those kind of words. It does a person good to to uh, receive that to to appreciate what has been beautified. Okay, and so if it's a you know a, a gospel quartet performance, I, I, it does me good to hear those. It does me good to receive the 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 beauty of, of that, see? Or uh, Robert was mentioning classical music this morning, and some people that's their musical genre and appreciation, or country music, which I never really was exposed to until I met Sharon, but some, you know, and, and I've learned to appreciate a wider spectrum than I used to a long time ago, okay? In any event. Um, and so in appreciating the beauty and in sharing that experience we 're able to uh to really multiply the effect of uh, of what 's happening so um, that 's what we see here sweet to the soul and healing to the bones that there is a response there is a consequential appreciation and benefit. it does me good right It does me good to receive the benefit of whatever it is that has been beautified and, and to appreciate the uh, the sight the sound the taste the smell the feel the whatever the the uh, the sensual blessing and benefit is all right the this beautified knowledge is not only appreciated but it is thoughtfully responded to thoughtfully responded to, and the best thing is that where it can go beyond the sensual and it then triggers the intellect and it triggers the soul capacity, see, to, to fully uh, identify with meaning, see. So we have it here, we have it in Psalms. Beautified knowledge is not only appreciated but thoughtfully responded to. And so there's, there's content as well. And the intellect is engaged. The soul is engaged. That is, the, the mentality facet of the soul is engaged in, uh, in this response. <clears throat> Proverbs fifteen twenty eight: The heart of the righteous ponders how to answer. So there's beauty, there's a stimulation, there's a stimulus. And I'm appreciating that beauty, but now how do I answer? What's the response? What's the takeaway? Is, it, is, it, is all it is, gratification, is that the goal in and of itself? Is the goal in and of itself to, to have the senses pleased? Even to have the, the mind pleased? Well, if it is pleased then then what? What else is engaged? What is the response? What is? What do I learn from it? How do I grow from it? How do I pass it on? How do I share it with others? How might it trigger additional thinking? Okay? So there should be more than just... You know, knowledge is not just... And the beauty of knowledge is not just knowing something, right? Knowing a bunch of facts. Knowing a bunch of doctrine. What am I doing with that doctrine? How am I living it out? How does living it out keep me from departing from the Word of God? How does living out the Word of God keep me from being conformed to this world? Because if I'm not saturating my soul with the Word of God, I'm going to be as worldly as the next guy. The, 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 that's, the, that's just the, the truth of it. And that's why when, when folks disappear and drift and, and we don't see them anymore, it just, it's, it's heartbreaking. Because they're not being fed. And if they're not being fed, What's happening? See. all right. So um, that's verse twenty-eight, Psalm one nineteen, Psalm one nineteen, and and to me, man, whoever this the author of this psalm was, some think it was David. I don't. I think it was, I think it was uh, a young man carried off to captivity in uh, in in uh, Jeremiah's day, but. Whatever the case may be. Whoever authored this psalm was so in love with the Word of God, and you wonder what would that person have done as a church age believer with a New Testament? <laughs> you know? What would that believer have done with a spiritual gift and the permanent indwelling of the Holy Spirit? Because I tell you, this 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 believer that wrote this was powerful. I mean, he was a spiritual giant and uh and intimate with with scripture. And so he says, um, and, and, and really, the whole bath strophe here in Psalm 119, how can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. So we're learning the word of God, we're responding to the word of God, we, we appreciate its beauty, and we want to have now a response, a thoughtful response, a thoughtful expression of the word of God. And so, in, in eight verses here, he talks about this. Uh, by keeping it according to your word, with all my heart, I have sought you. Do not let me wander from your commandments. And so the first item of appreciation, any time doctrine is beautiful, and any time doctrine is, is blessing us, is, is to cling to it and to recognize i can 't let this get away i can 't let this drift i can 't become dull of hearing don 't let me wander from your commandments. Your word I have treasured in my heart, that I may not sin against you. I've got to internalize it, I've got to prioritize it, I've got to exalt it and magnify it. Blessed are you, O Lord, teach me your statutes. And I'm not going to rest on what I just learned, I realize there's more to learn. Let's build on what I just learned. With my lips I have told all the ordinances of your mouth. I'm not just keeping it to myself, I'm teaching my wife, I'm teaching my children, I'm teaching my friends and neighbors, I'm, I'm sharing what I've learned. This is how we're, we're teaching one another in the Word of God. We dealt with that in Galatians, remember that? Where we're we're speaking to one another in the Word of God, uh, I have rejoiced in all the, in the ways of your testimonies as much as in all riches. I realize that my life in the Word of God is equal to or greater than uh, money, greater than my uh, financial well-being or my portfolio or or uh, what I have to live on, making a living. If, if, if push comes to shove and you decide that making a living is more important than Bible doctrine, you just made the wrong choice. You just made the wrong choice. Okay? And uh, we got family members now that are pressing, that are praying over that issue. A possible promotion, a possible move, a possible uh, you know, am I going to move to this town? Well, is there doctrine in that town? Is there a local church there? Is there a faithful pastor that will feed you the Word of God and shepherd your soul? Okay. If the answer is yes, then continue your prayers and ask the Lord to open that door and if that's where He's going to take you, you can take the promotion and thank Him for it. But if the answer is no, there's no doctrine, there's no faithful pastor, there's no local church, there's no. How can that be in the will of God? Are you kidding me? Alright. "...as much as in all riches, I will meditate upon your precepts and regard your ways." we realize that not only is there the immediate application, but there's long-term application. And that through meditation, not only am I going to learn immediately how to apply this principle, but then based on that I can, by extension, uh, apply additional principles for other things that maybe aren't specifically addressed in the Word of God. But because I'm meditating upon precepts, I can can walk in His ways or regard His ways. And then in verse 16, I shall delight in your statutes, I shall not Forget your word. The thoughtful response that verse sixteen highlights then is that that trigger that delight. I shall delight in your statutes. I shall delight in your statutes. In other words, it's it's provocative. It provokes a delight. It provokes a thrill. Okay, and not to be crude or whatever, but this this delight, this delight is is like, uh, you know. There's other expressions for this kind of a, a thrill, a response, uh, uh, you know, even something marital, okay? That a uh, delight in your statutes, and I just want to embrace it. I want to hug it, and uh, and there it is, verse twenty-four as well. Delight, your testimonies also are my delight. They are my counselors. Don't you love that? I love that. And those are counselors. You don't have to pay $110 a billable hour, $120 a billable hour, or $90 a billable hour if you get a discount counselor, whatever the case may be. okay. You're not charging by the hour. You can meditate on the Word of God, and the Word of God will counsel you day and night. That's a beautiful thing. And it's my delight, even though, even though, as verse 23 says, princes sit and talk against me. And servants, medit- your servant meditates on your statutes. May not be popular, and uh, well, I'm not going to abandon it. So I appreciate it, and it's thoughtfully responded to. And I think that too is is our blessing to cycle the doctrine, to learn from it, and then to thoughtfully respond to it, and realize, wait a minute, this is uh, this is. Uh, something to, uh, to orient to with the Word of God and to orient with, uh, with any number of applications. See? In, in not just to gratify the senses. Gratifying the senses, that's not the end. Okay? It's not a, a goal unto itself. Anyway. I mean, if that's the case then we're just animals, right? <laughs> if all we are is just gratifying senses what kind of a sensual I mean if that's if that's the totality of life is sensuality that's wrong biblically that's not that's not what we're designed to do all right beautified knowledge is a goad to action beautified knowledge is a goad to action and if we fail to be goaded if the word of god doesn't motivate you I I would ask are we really receiving it with humility. Ecclesiastes, yes, Ecclesiastes 12.11, which I like a lot. All right. Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, if you get to Song of Solomon you've gone too far. I'm always forgetting which comes first, Ecclesiastes or Song of Solomon. It's Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. Uh, Ecclesiastes 12.11, <clears throat> and, and remember, the bulk of Ecclesiastes is horrible. The bulk of Ecclesiastes is human viewpoint. It's, it's Solomon perverting his wisdom. It's it's trying to find meaning and happiness and purpose apart from God, apart from the Word of God. And uh, and he had more money to to, to make himself happy than we'll ever have. And he tried everything under the sun. So. But thankfully, by the time he gets to chapter 12, he's repentant and he's putting it back. He's got to admit that nothing apart from God is worth anything. It's all vanity. And the conclusion is, is, is positive. So 12.9 uh, says, "...in addition to being a wise man, the preacher also taught the people knowledge, and he pondered, searched out, and arranged many proverbs. The preacher sought to find delightful words and to write words of truth correctly." The words of uh, wise men are like goads, there we go, goads. And masters of these collections are like well-driven nails. You know, if it's driven well, then it's doing what it's supposed to do. It's going to hold what it's supposed to hold. It's going to accomplish what it's, what the, it's supposed to accomplish. If it's driven poorly, what's it going to do then? <laughs> All right, it's the same nail, But is it it driven well or is it driven poorly? Somebody that knows what they're doing can drive it well. Somebody like me, well, good luck. Um, But notice, like well-driven nails, they are given by one shepherd. See, ultimately God is the one that's teaching us. God's the one that drives the nail. But beyond this, my son, be warned. I love verse 12. The writing of many books is endless. An excessive devotion to books is wearying to the body. <laughs> you can read too many books. And this, I've got to remind myself of this. I read a lot of books. And uh, just be careful. All right. Not including the Bible, of course. You never, never, uh, we wouldn't include the Bible in this. But all these other things, you know, all these other things, collections of this and that, and all these other things that he wrote. So the conclusion when all has been heard is this fear God, keep his commandments, because this applies to every person. God will bring every act to judgment, everything which is hidden, whether it is good or evil. Because see, ultimately there's nothing hidden from him. And that's what that's going to take us into our next verse, verse three, of uh, there's nothing hidden from God. Okay? But the words of the wise men are like goads, like goads. And a beautified knowledge is a goad to action. Hebrews 10:24, We all have the cattle prod, and we all should use them on one another. This is all of us in our priesthood holding fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now do you have a brother that's not holding fast? Do You have a brother that's wavering or a sister? Someone that used to uh, hold fast the confession of their hope, but they're no longer entering within the veil. They're no longer operating in their priesthood. They're no longer functioning in the new and living way. And uh, how sad is that? So we draw near with a sincere heart and we hold fast the confession of our hope and we consider. Look at all these let us, let us, let us, let us. Okay? Let us. Draw near. Let us hold fast. Let us consider. And the consideration is stimulation. How to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. So that's the stimulation. That's the goad. That's the goad that Ecclesiastes is talking about. That's the goad that Hebrews is talking about. We all get to goad. And how do we goad? Do we goad with gimmicks? Do we goad with legalism? Do we goad with... uh, Uh, No, we goad with the Word of God. The Word of God is the goad. It's the timely Word. It's the coming alongside with the the spiritual, with the truth of the Word of God. See, not forsaking our own assembling together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And so we come alongside each other with the Word of God. We come alongside each other with doctrine, with beautified doctrine. And that's the goad to action. And we can appreciate that. All right. Living the word of God is essential, given his constant observation over us. And we just saw it in uh, Ecclesiastes, "Even the things we think are hidden aren't hidden. They will be brought to light." But here in Proverbs 15:3, it's very clear, we cannot hide from God. He sees everything. The eyes of the Lord are in every place. So you think you've you've gone to a place where you think God's not seeing? Guess again. Everywhere you go, there he is. Everywhere you go, he's there. And uh, the eyes of the Lord are in every place. Watching the evil and the good. His eyes are there and he sees what he's looking at. (laughs) Okay, He's watching. There's a difference between looking at something and actually seeing it right? Watching it, okay? <laughs> you know? I didn't see that. How can you not see that? You looked right at it. I didn't see it. Alright? I have bad eyes, what can I say? Um, but anyway, you know what I'm talking about. And and yeah, I, I could have picked it up and thrown it away. Why didn't I see it? Okay? Um, but whatever the case may be, God looks, and he sees, and he's watching, and he's recording, there are books that are being written right now. Books that are being written right now, they're going to be open on Judgment Day, called the Books of the Deeds, okay? Now, that's that's different than the Lamb's Book of Life, thankfully. We're going to go to heaven because our name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life. But when we get there, and when we stand for judgment, these other books are also going to be opened. And the unbeliever, too. When they get to their judgment day, the great white throne, these books are going to be opened, and these are the books of the deeds. And these deeds are all being recorded because God's watching. And everything is being seen, not only what is done, but the motivation behind why it was done. Because he's not just looking at us, he's looking at our heart. And so he sees the heart motivation of everything that's done. In the flesh, or if you're saved, in the spirit. Okay? And so uh, the eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Why does he watch both? Because he judges the living and the dead. Because everything comes into account. Either the gold, silver, precious stones on the one hand, or the wood and stubble on the other hand. The evil and the good. And everything is logged. Everything, there's nothing missing. There's no missing receipts. Okay. You don't have to hunt back over for a missing receipt from six months ago to try to do something. Everything's all recorded in his ledger. And these books all get opened. Verse 11, Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the hearts of men. The hearts of men. And that's what it comes down to at the judgment seat of Christ. It's the heart distinction. And you might have done exactly the same external thing that the guy next to you did. You sat in church, they sat in church, but your heart was humble before the Lord. You were learning, you were growing, you were devouring doctrine, you were just thrilled to be there. And the, the, the brother or the sister in the pew next to you was just hating every minute of it. And uh, and uh, just didn't want to be there. They were daydreaming about what they were going to do as soon as this, this blowhard was done talking and, and just couldn't wait to, to get out as quick as they could. And just, you know, just... Uh, You know, or, you know, the grudging husband that is just trying to get the nagging wife off his back. So, fine, I came to church already, Jeepers, just leave me alone. I'm in church already, all right? Can we have sex tonight or something? You know, he wants to do a trade off kind of a thing, saying, I did that for you. What are you going to do for me next? Okay. Yeah, you were in church. You know, we didn't hand out any gold stars, and and, and and God's not handing out gold stars either. He's tracking the heart. Where was your heart while you were sitting there hating every minute of it? Because that was evil, and it's going to come under judgment. It will come under judgment. So if Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. Anyway, there's your dimension of the underworld. And I think I think that twin reference is there. Everybody goes to Sheol, but uh, the the believers go to Abraham's bosom, that compartment of comfort uh, within Sheol, whereas of course the unbeliever is uh, is placed in torments. And uh, I think that's what the abaddon of the destruction re- uh, references there. Still in Proverbs, back up, we had it earlier in Proverbs chapter 5. Proverbs 5.21 if you remember this. And <laughs> the warnings of a, of a young man against promiscuity and against adultery and against fornication. And uh, sneaky fornication is no better than open fornication. It's just sneaky and you don't get away with it. God sees all of it. And so, um, and in particular when it says, drink water from your own sister, and that's verse 15, and fresh water from your own well, that's a metaphor It says, look, God gave you a wife. That's your provision. And it's describing it in in, in a beautiful way. Uh, Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? You know, this is dangerous. If you want to have it in the proper boundaries, let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. And we taught this in chapter 5. Sex is a beautiful thing within the bounds of marriage. That's why God designed it and, and put it there. As a, uh, so rejoice in the wife of your youth. As a uh, Rejoice, celebrate, be delighted in, play with. As a loving hind and a graceful doe, let her breast satisfy you at all times. Be exhilarated always with her love. For why should you, my son, be exhilarated with an adulteress and embrace the bosom of a foreigner? For the ways of a man are before the eyes of the Lord, and he watches all his paths. God is involved in every facet of our human experience, including our sex life, including everything. And what is our attitude and what are we thinking about? He watches all his paths. His own iniquities will capture the wicked, And he will be held with the cords of his sin. When you leave the will of God, it becomes enslaving. And although he honors our volition and we do what we do, but those things that we do in in carnality become enslaving. Held with the cords of his sin, he will die for lack of instruction and the greatness of his folly, he will go astray. So we cannot hide from God. Where are we going to go to hide from God? Yeah, good luck with that. There's only one place and that's the eternal destiny of the lake of fire. Away from the light of the glory of His presence forever. Uh, Job. Job 34. And this is in... uh, Elihu's section of the book, Elihu finally speaks starting in chapter 32 continues in chapter 33, continues in chapter 34 Elihu continued and said hear my words you wise men and listen to me you who know and uh, the ear tests words as the palate tastes food what wisdom here, I love this you get down in chapter 34 to verses 21 and 22 and uh, yeah, verses 16 and following even the mighty ones, the kings, the rich ones God doesn't show partiality All right, verse 16, I guess. If you have understanding, hear this. Listen to the sound of my words. Shall one who hates justice rule? Will you condemn the righteous mighty one? Who says to a king, worthless one? To nobles, wicked ones? Who shows no partiality to princes? Nor regards the rich above the poor? For they are all the works of his hands. See, we get impressed with other people. God's not impressed. (laughs) Right? By the grace of God, we are what we are. In a moment they die, and at midnight people are shaken and pass away, and the mighty are taken away without a hand. For his eyes are upon the ways of a man, and he sees all his steps. There is no darkness or deep shadow where the workers of iniquity may hide themselves. For he does not need to consider a man further, that he should go before God in judgment. Anyway, so it goes on. But that's the uh, principle there, you know. Can you hide in the darkness? He sees through that. Jeremiah 32. Jeremiah 32, 17 through 20. So Jeremiah is in prison and uh, he's going to have his business dealing here and take this deed and Baruch has to come in. So in verse 16 then, after I'd given the deed of purchase to Baruch, the son of Neriah, then I prayed to the Lord saying, ah, Lord God, behold, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and by your outstretched arm Nothing is too difficult for you, who show. And remember, he's in jail when he's saying this, okay? And he's not complaining about our circumstances. Who shows loving kindness to thousands? I think this is a, a thousand generation reference here, but repays the iniquity of the fathers into the bosom of their children after them. O great and mighty God, the Lord of hosts is His name, great in counsel and mighty indeed whose eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men. His eyes are open, not just to some of the ways, not just to the big things, everything. Every thought, every word, every deed, every man, every day. All day, every day. Is there anything that's left out of this? Great in counsel, mighty indeed, whose eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of men giving to everyone according to his ways and according to the fruit of his deeds, who has set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, and even to this day, both in Israel and among mankind, and you have made a name for yourself as at this day. Anyway, he's going to go on and describe what happens here to Israel, and even though they were redeemed out of Egypt, why it is that he's going to send his covenant people into captivity. Why he's going to send them into Babylon and, uh, and these other things. Anyway, it's a great message. But his eyes are open to all the ways of the sons of man. And then we, where were we uh, not long ago in Hebrews 4? There is no creature hidden from his sight. Remember this, the word of God is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Living is the word of God, active and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. That's the standard for judgment. That's why we've got to live in the Word of God. That's why it's not simply adequate to be saved and then wait to go to heaven when you die. Because He has a course for you, and that course requires you to be saturated with the Word of God. And there is no creature hidden from His sight. But all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. You know, think about it. Think about the the hidden creatures. You turn over a log in the woods, and here comes a bunch of, you know, critters. Yeah, grubs. You know, <laughs> not Scott grub, but the 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 the. the uh, you know, there's caterpillars, and there's. Creepy crawly things and whatever. And, and you go back to Genesis and God created all those creepy crawly things. He's in charge of all of them. And uh, you know, it's just interesting to me. We've got Shark Week coming up, which I like to watch. And they they find these new shark breeds and things. And and they're so deep. And they're in such darkness. And we didn't even know they existed 20 years ago. But we've found them now with submarines and probes and and, you know, we send these things down there and they're floating around and they're seeing these, and these sharks are basically blind. How do you see in this kind of darkness? God knows about every single one of them. Isn't that beautiful? And so, uh, you know, we think we're going to get away with what we're going to get away with. We're not getting away with anything. Even before we had the dumb idea to rebel and to plot something, He knew about it before the foundation of the world. All things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do, and that's a that's a tremendous thing, and that's not, that's not uh, rigid or controlling. Do you feel trapped? Do you feel? No, that's loving. That's beautiful. that he is watching me, and his arms are around me if I let him, if I stay in the will of God, if I keep myself in the will of God, if I have humility to receive the word implanted that's able to save the soul. All of these things work together in such a such a beautiful way. All right. And so where am I going to go to hide from God? I cannot hide from God. <clears throat> There's a gospel song I'm trying to find music for. I want Jacob to sing this for us on a Sunday morning. And uh, I've been unsuccessful trying to find the piano music and if I can't find the piano music, and Molly can't play it, then can't get Jacob to sing it on a Sunday morning. But go to YouTube and search for um, I Cannot Hide From God, that's the name of the song, and the um, singer, the bass singer is named Tim Duncan. Okay? So put in Tim Duncan I Cannot Hide From God, and you'll find the, you'll find the YouTube video I'm talking about. Okay? That's not Tim Duncan the basketball player, that's Tim Duncan the bass singer. Okay? He's a short white guy. He's five foot six. Okay, he's not the basketball player, and uh, you'll you'll enjoy that song very much. And and I'm like I say, if I can get the piano music for it, then uh, I'd like to like to have Jacob do that for us on a on a Sunday morning. All right. So the eyes of the Lord are in every place, watching the evil and the good. Uh, verse four. We're back to talking again. So we've had communication in one, two, and four. Uh, We have the accountability in verse 3, and I think that's interesting. Uh, But now verse 4, a soothing tongue is a tree of life, but perversion in it crushes the spirit. And so um, we have here, this is point 5, the fourth and final tree of life reference in Proverbs. The fourth and final tree of life reference in Proverbs. And this is unique. Uh, you know the idea that we have the tree of life in Genesis right? We have the tree of life in Revelation and nowhere else in the Bible do we have the tree of life except Proverbs. Four references to tree of life in Proverbs. And then in each case it's not the tree of life it is a tree of life. Okay? And so we want to be clear on that. And that's what we see here. Um where the so- a soothing tongue is a tree of life. And so we understand it as a metaphor, we understand it as, as uh, not the literal tree of life that Adam and Eve had access to before they were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, or the literal tree of life that will be replanted on the new earth, Revelation 21 and 22. Those are literal trees of life that were in the original Garden of Eden and are in uh, the new earth. But what is a tree of life? That happens every time a soothing tongue is communicating. Every time that a believer with wisdom is communicating the Word of God on a soothing basis. And what's soothing anyway? And so we'll do some time Um, I think we'll stop here, We'll, we'll save this for next week, but because I want to make sure we review all four times that the tree of life is mentioned, and that we start to pay attention to the idea of a crushed spirit. There's a broken spirit, and there's a crushed spirit, and the Hebrew will use two different terms. And, um, and and not everybody makes a distinction between the two, but I think there is a distinction between the two. And so we'll see the we'll see the references there. Um, but, but what is a tree of life? What is a tree of life supposed to do anyway? If I eat from that fruit, what, what's the consequence? And so if that was the consequence of the literal tree of life, how do I understand this metaphor then? Because I want to eat of this fruit. And I want to benefit from this fruit. And we see the benefit in, uh, in these places. So we'll, uh, we'll pick up here next week. Lord willing and rapture pending. Father, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your truth. I thank you for the living and abiding Word of God. And it is. It is a beautiful thing, Father, and it's beautiful for its own sake, it's beautiful intrinsically, but then as it's preached, as it's beautified, and as, as uh, those with capacity to uh, with an ear to hear it, Father, we, we, we just love it, and it's, it's, uh, it benefits us, we appreciate it, it goads us to action and we want a fellowship in your word. We want to fellowship one to another as we can goad one another through the same living and abiding word. And I pray, Father, that You would open the eyes of our understanding to see all these applications, to motivate us to live them out, and to do so uh, all day, every day. And uh, thank You for being faithful, Father. We thank You. And we do, while we're at it, Father, we are mindful for brothers and sisters that uh, have lost their first love. And uh, it's, uh, it's a sad thing. So, Father, be faithful. I thank You in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.